Welcome to Ben. Blockchain Education Network. The largest and longest running network of students, alumni, and professors excited about blockchain across the world. A podcast for students by students, sharing their vision that anyone, regardless of wherever they are in the world, will be able to use blockchain as a vehicle to create wealth for themselves and their communities. This is Ben. The Blockchain Education Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockchain Education Network podcast. My name is Chris Buren, the social director at Ben. And today we are interviewing a very good friend of mine, Yaniv from EY Blockchain. How are you doing, Yaniv? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy. Very happy to hear it. So to kick it off right from the start here, how did you get in blockchain? What's your background? So I studied materials engineering. And in 2012, I heard about this magic internet money called Bitcoin. Mm. And I asked everybody I knew uh, about it and eventually got connected to one of the founders of the New York City Bitcoin meetup. And long story short, we ended up founding one of the first exchanges in the U.S. So in 2012, I was dealing with, with quite a few cryptos back when it was still called Bitcoin, right? And everything was a Bitcoin. And ever since, it just became a passion. As, as the technology evolved, it became obvious that this was going to change the world. Definitely. So in terms of EY blockchain, I think most of our audience is aware of EY, a big accounting firm. How does that blockchain aspect fit into it? Yeah, so at EY, we are obviously an accounting and audit firm. But beyond that, we're also a consulting firm. And a lot of our clients have been asking for help in some of their transformation around blockchain and separating what's hype and what's real from when it comes to blockchain technologies um, and, and what it's, it means for their business. And so we at EY have actually set out to do two things. One on the consulting side of things, right? Strategy, what it means for your business and, and what you should do. But we're also very technically inclined and we're both building software as a service solutions mm-hmm. to help enable and, and build applications on top of blockchains. But beyond that, really get into our clients' technical infrastructure and help them build and execute on that strategy. Both from, when I say technical expertise, not necessarily hands-on key- keyboard software development only, right? That's a big part of what we do. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, the risk and compliance and the regulatory frameworks, the cybersecurity part of, part of things. How do you do due diligence for a new asset or a new smart contract that you want to support because this token was issued? And so some of our, our work as well is, is around that. And, and we've built tools like, like the mainnet simulator, which mm-hmm. we do for Ethereum, to help you do that due diligence, get that assurance, and really make sure that the protocols that you support are, are viable and that, and that your business is sound. I'm a big fan of the mainnet simulator. You remember I saw your, your demo on it. In the crypto space, there's a lot of young people, and especially the people and students listening to this, are most of them would be young. What would be your advice to them about what, if they want to get more involved in the blockchain space? So first and foremost is if you're not technical, that's fine. right? If you don't want to be an engineer, there's plenty of things that need to be done from bringing in your experience in another field to bridging sort of blockchain applications and and for more of a product development side of things to maybe even just, I have a friend who's in law, I'll give you a good example, who's in law, and he's saying, what can I do with blockchain, right? I know it's going to change the world. And one of the most important things I think he can do is understand the value of immutability 
understand the value of smart contracts and code as law execution and help drive the regulation, right? So from a regulatory standpoint, help get this stuff approved and, and into the mainstream. But really, the, the one piece of advice I would give is just do something, whatever it is that you can get exposed to, whether it's joining a Discord and just reading and asking questions and learning more and getting involved. And that will snowball because from what I've seen and in my experience, the community has been very open. It's built around open source and, and it's sort of a sharing community. Mm-hmm. And the best thing you could do, like I said, is just, just to get involved. Don't hesitate. It doesn't matter where you start, where you'll end up is going to be fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. As long as you start, I think you'll, you'll get to where you need to end up in the longer term. Cool. So about a week ago, EY came out with a big announcement working with a crypto firm, a more crypto native firm. What's your take on that? So specifically, this is, you're talking, you're referring to Polygon, correct? Polygon, yep. So EY, I'll I'll give a bit of context and history, has developed Nightfall and has since released the technology into the public domain. What Nightfall does is it's a zero-knowledge proof implementation using smart contracts on top of Ethereum and putting aside the math and the cryptography, really what it means is we have added privacy on a public network. Added privacy on a public network. That's right. Wow. It sounds like an oxymoron almost. It does. Well, the information is free and open. So for the same way that you can log into your bank account in a secure way, right? In, In a way that only you, the user can access your account balance we can use zero knowledge proofs to effectively prove in, in, a, in this mining or validating ecosystem, somebody did something and it was okay. That's the proof part. The proof part is that it was okay. The zero knowledge is we don't know who and we don't know what they did, but it passed the mathematical checks so that we know we can add it to the chain. Hmm. So we've developed Nightfall and again, as I mentioned, put it in the public domain. We've released all rights to the intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And we worked with Polygon uh, that they're looking to launch layer two solutions with this zero knowledge element to it. And they've chosen one of the technologies they've chosen is, is Nightfall. And mm-hmm. so the, the announcement was for the launch or not the launch, rather the, the partnership to launch Polygon Nightfall, which is it's coming soon. And we're working closely with them to, to add effectively a privacy layer two on top of Ethereum, because I'm sure as, as some of you may know, Ethereum transactions are getting expensive. Mm -hmm. Zero knowledge proof transactions are even more expensive because they're rather computationally expensive. And so for scalability and for cost efficiency, we're we're exploring this layer two option with Polygon. That sounds really interesting. You mentioned before that you open sourced uh, EY Nightfall before it was Nightfall Polygon. So so it's in fact in the public domain, which is even a step beyond public, sorry, beyond open source. How, what's that like? I feel like at a, at a large legacy firm like EY, open sourcing or public domaining, I guess, technology and something that a team worked on is kind of not traditional. Is that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. This was an EY first for sure. Wow. <laughs> but uh, we worked with our legal teams. We did what we need to do and eventually got it approved. And really, a big part of the reason why we chose public domain instead of open source is that we have no claim or no liability at all. Right. Whereas when open source, you have author credit, right? And, and there's different types of open source licenses where you may need to get permission to augment the technology or the underlying code with public domain. It's EY has relinquished all rights and all sort of 
IP to with within this has put it in the public domain and anybody can modify it and do whatever without requiring consent from UI or even mentioning where it came from in the first place. That's that's amazing. Yeah. What do you think the main driver behind putting that that out in the public domain was to maybe get more um, community adoption or more eyes to pen test it, things like that? A little bit, but I will go even further, maybe more for a strategic vision. So I believe that blockchain is a team sport, and I, I think a lot of my colleagues do as well, right? Mm-hmm. Where these public open blockchains are the way forward. When we think about DeFi, we look at these money Legos. First, we came out with the ERC-20 standard. Mm-hmm. Then we came out with certain tokens. Then we came up with a stable coin like MakerDAO using the ERC-20 standard, which means all the wallets were now able to support it. Mm-hmm. Then we were now able to do a decentralized exchange like Uniswap or SushiSwap. But these standards were required building blocks to build the next step. And then on top of the, the exchanges and the lending protocols, you have Yearn.Finance or these, these automated hedge funds. And if you don't have interoperability, if you don't have open source protocols, it becomes really hard to build on top of it. Mm-hmm. And so everything we're doing is with the understanding that any closed source or any private IP that you keep that is fundamental to how the application operates is going to debilitate its ability to, to propagate and permeate and get adoption. Because if we created, let's just say, a supply chain standard for tokenizing invoices, Mm-hmm. and nobody else knew how to use it, nobody will be able to build the ability to do invoice factoring or supply chain financing on top of this invoice. No auditor will be able to look at it and say, we know how to audit this type of invoice. Mm. right? And, and, and the need for these standards is, is essential to the adoption of, of various use cases. And I believe anybody who builds in a vacuum is sort of doomed to, to stay in that vacuum forever. And so, again, to, to, to answer your question, we, we only or primarily work with public protocols and we're pushing and working with our clients to make sure that the standards that we create are interoperable, either following community standards or any new things, any new standards that we create, like Nightfall, is publicly accessible and readily available for all to be able to build, integrate with, and, and execute on. I got to say, Yaniv, it's a little refreshing to see a large legacy company like EY take steps towards the more crypto-native kind of community feel. It's really cool. Yeah, and, and like I said, it, it really is a team sport. It's like, it's like the internet, right? If the internet was built on closed-source protocols and only five providers could use it, we yeah. would not be anywhere near where we are today. And I'm very fortunate to work with leaders who recognize that and are within an organization like pushing for and requesting the organization innovate and learn how to work in this new ecosystem, in this new space. It's great to see. If students have any questions or want to follow your work, are you on Medium or Twitter, anything like that? Probably LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me, Yaniv Sofer on LinkedIn. Otherwise, my, my Twitter is, I'll keep to myself for now, and, and my Medium, I have quite a few articles lined up. If there's demand, I will, I will start posting those. I'll share them with you first, and you let me know if you think they should be uh, made readily available for others. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time, Yaniv. My pleasure. Thank you. This was another episode of Ben. Blockchain Education Network. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Also, keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at BlockchainEDU. And visit our YouTube channel for more valuable blockchain content.